changes things, right? Right? So I'm going to open tonight in uh, 2 Kings 13, verses 18 and 19. It says, And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was worth or was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hadst thou smitten Syria, till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. We know that uh, there's certain times that we shouldn't stop where we're at, right? Brother Lance, if I do half of a job, and then I just walk away, right? Are we going to get half the pay? Probably not. All right, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. All right. I'm going to jump right in here. The title is Don't Stop There. I think a lot of times we end up stopping places that we shouldn't. We're told in the Bible to stay continuous in prayer. Right? We're supposed to always be praying, seeking his face, right, daily. How many, how many of us in here, please don't raise your hands, how many of us in here have stopped a prayer, like prayed it maybe a year, maybe six months, and we just gave up? I, I believe that a lot of times the answer is right on the other side of that. <clears throat> we don't, I think, you know, it could be a timing issue. It could be we're not ready. Maybe we have some growth to do. But I believe that we stop when God still has a better plan for us. Now, I want to look in 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to use verses 2 and 3. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. <clears throat> now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that, hath, all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, we all have mission. We've all been purposed to do something. God didn't create us for nothing. We all have a purpose. We all have a mission. And we all have a job to do. Now, we all have personal battles, too. Some of us quit on things that we shouldn't quit on. Some of us stop when we shouldn't stop. We got to finish the job. Now, 1 Samuel 15, um, go through verses 14, 15, and then do 18 and 19 here. It says, And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Can we jump down? Yeah. It says, And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. He didn't finish the job. It cost him everything. It cost him his kingdom. It cost him his life. It cost his son his life. He cannot be half in and half out. Let's look, at, let's look at David, on the other hand. Now, in Psalms 18.37, it says, I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. David finished the job that he was sent to do. 
a man after God's own heart finished the job. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, 48 through 51, it says, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead. He knocked him out. How many of us have giants still sitting next to us because we knocked it out, but then it woke back up? We got to finish the job. It says that David, as we go down further, it says that David didn't have a sword, but he stood on the, Philist- or he stood on the giant's chest and took his head with his own sword. Now, the Lord definitely wants us to finish what we started because in Joshua 10, I'm just going to give a quick brief summary. He made the sun stand still so that they could chase their enemy and finish the job. When you think you have a breakthrough and you think, keep pushing, keep fighting, because the devil might give you a second, but as soon as you think it's safe, as soon as you think it's safe to take that helmet off or take off your, ah, there he is right there waiting for you in Jesus' name. One more thing, and I want to look, well, I don't have the scripture, but it says don't just, uh, like, don't stop at, like, Acts 2, right? Sure, we're baptized, right? We repented, baptized, filled with the Spirit. That's only the beginning. We cannot stop there. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. We have to finish the job. Heaven is the goal, in Jesus' name. Appreciate you being in the house of the Lord with us tonight. Who knows what God has in store? Hallelujah. You don't have to stand, but I would like to read a couple of very familiar scriptures to you from the book of Ephesians, chapter number four. And you'll identify them immediately as I begin to read. The Bible said the Apostle Paul wrote, and he, meaning the Lord, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? Verse 12, please. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. I want to talk about tonight, and thank you, sir. You, you uh, gave me a, a building block to my thought tonight, and I appreciate that. Uh, everyone's ministry everyone's ministry. Look at somebody and say, everyone's ministry. Now, every, everybody that cares to look at the Bible and read it as food for the soul, we have comfort places in the Bible we go to. I could throw it out tonight as a, as a, as a knowledge, desire, quest, looking for information from you, and you'd all tell me, you like the Proverbs, you like the Psalms, read, you read the book of Acts. You read the book of Revelation. But rarely do you find milk-drinking, shallow-minded servants of God that will tell you the book of Ephesians is my go-to. Rarely. If people tell me the book of Ephesians is their comfort zone, to me as a pastor it means one of two things. They're either deep and they've been around and they're seasoned, or they're smoke blowers. They're the guy that always like to quote Ezekiel when they don't even know where Ezekiel's at, right? 
But Ezekiel said, It may not be their comfort book because, my, my take anyway, is the complexities of what Paul is addressing in the book of Ephesians. The majesty of Jesus Christ come down in the position of shame and humanity. If it weren't for the Lord, we'd all be lost. I don't care how pretty you are, how good you are, how skilled you are. If it wasn't for the majestic, most high God leaving heaven's abode and coming down to the sinful sewer of the earth in your place. Well, it's a powerful book. And when people tell me they love this book, to me, it means that they love the wisdom of the meat of the scriptures. If they're, if they're not just blowing smoke. Because Ephesians is like medicine. It really is. It's difficult to take sometimes, but the more you get used to taking it, and the more you look at this book, and the more you digest the fabric of, of the content of the book of Ephesians, the more good it does in your life. The more you process it, the more you see how good is making its promises come to pass in your life. Promises warnings, and the most familiar setting in this book to most people is what we took as a text tonight, the five-fold ministries layout or description, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and some teachers. Everybody's ministry. Everyone's ministry. I'm not an evangelist, obviously. I'm a pastor. I shepherd the same flock day in day out. It's not my job to know the latest cliches and the cutest clicks and know the hottest evangelist. I really, that bores the tears out of me. I don't walk in those circles. I don't sit in those round table discussions at camp meeting. It's boring to me. They all know what the most important set of people on planet earth to me is Palmer Pentecostal Church and my community and my stomping grounds and it's a pastor's job to get up every day go to the spiritual barn prepare a meal because at certain time of the day spiritual day the sheep are going to make their way back into the barn back into the corral and they're going to need substance to survive another day the evangelist doesn't provide daily substance and as a pastor, as a shepherd, it's not a very popular job. It's not a real popular job. Your name's not up there with all the big names. In fact, in Genesis 46, 34, the last several words in that scripture, it said shepherds were an abomination to Egypt or to the world. Shepherds were looked down upon, stinky, smelly caretakers of sheep. That's how they're looked at. I was always told by my elders, Brother Stacy, coming up in ministry, that the greatest thing a shepherd could be, not have his name up in the top of who's who at camp meeting, 
or at general conference, the greatest thing a shepherd could ever be is consistent. Amen. I took that to heart. But I found out something. People, not everybody, but people get tired of consistency. People get tired of the same old face, the same old voice, the same old expressions. You know that's true. Come on. Your kids get sick of you hearing uh, of hearing you say, clean up your bedroom, pick up after yourself. I love it. Down in Texas last week, my son is just going off one night. These kids don't listen to me. They don't do what I tell them. I'm like, wow, that sounds strangely familiar to me. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Paybacks are awesome. People get tired of the same old meat and potatoes. We as Pentecost, Pentecostals, apostolics, I get it. I get it. I'm really going somewhere. I'm not just, I'm not just airing out my frustrations in spite of what you think. I'm going somewhere with this thought. I think I am anyway. We think people hung the moon because they're a fresh voice to us. I've got a visiting speaker coming Sunday, and I'm going to act like it's the first time he's ever preached here, although he's preached here probably more than anybody from outside. Brother Churchill's coming back. I'm excited about it. I'm wanting him to come. Hallelujah. People like fresh voices, new expressions, new ways of looking at things. I get it. I get it. Pastor Kenneth Dyson, who evangelized North America, South America for many years. He's retired now. I know him quite well. I know his son's better than him, but I know him well. He and, him and my dad were very, very acquainted. But I know his son Tim has pastored for decades like I have. And Kenneth Dyson said, as he pastors at home, he says, I can preach something at home. Every pastor would amen me here. I can preach something at home and get a lot of stares and yawns. He said, I can go, go across town and preach it. And people are on their feet, running the aisles, jumping in the seats. You know why? It's a fresh voice. It's a fresh expression. Shepherds are an abomination. And often, often, not a, certainly not everybody, but often people don't understand the value of meat from the word like a child always wants Taco Bell or McDonald's. And if you offer them a New York steak or filet mignon, they're like, why is that? Because of youth and inexperience. They want something that is familiar, something they like. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it all. But it screams of youth and inexperience. I'm talking about everybody's ministry tonight. Everyone's ministry. Hebrews 5.13 in the King James. I'll paraphrase. You can read it behind me here. It says that people that use milk, they depend on milk. The writer called them babes. I want Taco Bell. Babes, they don't understand the value of meat. But the next verse in the New Living Translation 
Verse 14, Paul said, or whoever wrote this book, solid food is for those who are And Paul said it's the novice, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. The novice, especially in ministry, in fivefold ministry, it's the novice that's so often lifted up by the pride of the flesh. And when he does that, he falls into the condemnation of the devil. It's a very serious matter. Very serious ordeal. Now, I've laid out a lot of groundwork there. Milk, meat, everybody's got a job to do in ministry. What's, you, what's your level of desire? Are you on the surface? Are you, are you plummeting the depths? Are you wanting something more than just a silly little sugar rush? You never grow from those. You only grow and develop man's strength or mature strength or adult strength by eating right and exercising and doing the right things. But Hebrews 11.7 talks about a man who in today's standards, in today's Pentecostal standards, wouldn't even be, he wouldn't even make who's who on the list of evangelists. And he was the most important man on the planet in his day. Nobody superseded Noah in the mind of God. Nobody was commissioned like Noah in the mind and the annals of glory. Noah wouldn't even make it to our camp meeting who's who. And the Bible said in Hebrews 11 said, By faith being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I'll say it even though you wouldn't want to say it. Noah was a very ineffective worldwide evangelist. The world he knew, God told him a secret. I'm going to destroy the entire thing. And when it came time to close the door, he didn't have one neighbor in the ark. He didn't have one comrade from work in the ark. He didn't have one person from the local church in the ark. So in our terminology, the way we look at apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we think, hmm, who was his pastor? Didn't pull one soul out of the fire hating the garment spotted by the flesh. But the Bible said, we just read it. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. There's one thing Noah did that made him a successful evangelist in the eyes of God. He evangelized his own home. We're so... Forgive me, all right? Forgive me, powers that be that are higher than I, and there are many of you, if you're looking tonight on Facebook, I don't know why you would be, but if you happen to be, forgive me. But we are so worried about having an image, and we, have you ever, have you been overseas, Pastor Herring? Nope, never, rarely get out of Palmer. What's the matter with you? 
Haven't you been to on these big crusades here and there? Never been invited. I have been. But you know what I got my mind on? What I'm going to preach Sunday morning. What I'm going to preach next Wednesday night. What I'm going to preach next week. We're so caught up in an image. And I'm not telling you everybody that goes overseas is searching for an image. But you know what I'm talking about. There's a movement among the movement. We're like, oh, they prayed 88,000 people through the other night in the Philippines. And you skipped church. One thing Noah did right. Noah started where he was supposed to start. My uncle, who was Teresa's father, my pastor for a while, used to say it all the time. You could pray the, the whole world through, Ron Herring, and if Josh and Brad die lost, you're a miserable failure. I like I liked advice like that. I like it when people talk to me like that. Noah, mission number one. He started in his own home. Let me talk to any of you that are responsible for anyone in your household. If you're a mom, a dad, mission number one should be our homes. Our, our evangelistic fire should be burning so that our kids are in the house of God. Our parents are in the house of God. Our siblings are in the house of God. How dare we act spiritual? We're concerned about South Africa and our own kids are laying home tonight. And if the rapture happens, they're going to go straight to a bad place. And we're more worried about an image. Oh, let me preach to somebody tonight. Let me help. Listen, I'm all about the foreign field, but the foreign field starts in our house. You may not have your own podcast. You may not have notes that you've been accumulating for years from sermons you preached, but you are called to minister. Everybody has a ministry. It might start with you or your wife. You might start with your son or your daughter. How dare we go to sleep at night with peace in our mind when our kids are going to hell? What made Noah the man that he was in the eyes of God is he took care of business at home. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel, whatever that is, for a big shot preacher behind a pulpit that tells you where he's been and what his pedigree is and what his his, uh, records talks of. And his kids are out smoking dope and they're out. Hello. I do pastor this church. I can preach like that, all right? What good is it if you save the world and your kids disrespect God? Well, anyway, you going back to turn Facebook off, sister? I know you. I know you're not. I'm messing with you. 
Like it or not, we are all evangelists. I could never teach a Bible study, Pastor Herring. Start at home. It's a sad thing when parents... When parents let kids tell them, I'd rather go do this than go to Sunday school tomorrow, go to church Wednesday night. One day those kids are going to get so old, you won't have the power over them anymore to tell them we're going anyway. You're an evangelist. You're a priest in your home, mom, dad. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 33, did we get that, sis? Of the New Living Translation, even at the hour, at that hour of the night, the jailer cried or cared for them and washed their wounds. <laughs> then he and everyone in his household. It's got to start at home, bro. It's got to start at home, sis. Stop worrying about things that are out of my, out of our control. Noah, I see no record that he brought the mayor to church. I see no record that he brought the denominal preacher across the way to church. I don't see any of that. But he worked on his sons, his daughter-in-laws. He told them it's important that we get in the ark. I'm building an ark because God's talked to me. God's told me. Days are coming. You're going to need the ark. He preached it. He lived it. He shared it. He gave them his burden. He gave them his, his deep, deep, deep calling. Huh. Now, I've made a couple of references to shallow nature of some people. In the word of God, Paul said they're milk drinkers. And when they have need of meat... You know, if we're in the church for a year or two, it's one thing. But if we're in the church, some of us, all of our life or half of our lives, we shouldn't get hung up on little things anymore. You shouldn't get hung up just because the pastor says something that offended you. And you, and you go home and, and in front of the kids, you tell your family about it. You're going to give account to God for those wounds you create in the family. We've been in church a while. We ought to have a little maturation happening, you know. A little growth occurring in our spirit. But here's, a, here's one of them fat, juicy steaks for you Taco Bell people, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Remember just last month before I uh, left for a while, I talked to you about the body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Here's a scripture I didn't, I didn't give you that night, but I want you, to, I want you to just to weigh this in the sense of of the gravity of it all, all right? How heavy of an impact does it make on you? Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what makes you the temple of God. Verse 17, this is how seriously God looks at it. If any man defiles the temple, now this is the New Testament. You know, Jesus, the loving, merciful Jesus, 
your temple is of such great concern to God that Paul had the audacity to throw Taco Bell off the table and put a juicy fat steak up there. He said, now chew on that a bit. You defile that temple. Because the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now that's not a popsicle. That's, that's something heavy that it takes a little bit of a... Um, ambition or desire to be pleasing to God to look at that and say, okay, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. I can't just do what I want to do. Point being here, I'm trying to make two dots come together. It's got to start at home and it has to start with us. Evangelism has got to start here. It doesn't matter how many visitors you bring. Thank God for every visitor you bring. But if, if we aren't serious about our walk with God, what does it matter how many rows of seats you fill up with visitors? It's got to start at home. Someone's got to take the opportunity to teach their son, to teach their daughter, thus saith the Lord. And it's that, it's that juvenile in spirit that thinks the only evangelistic field worthy of my presence is Asia or Africa or somewhere like that. It's just not true. That's pride, and God, God gets sick of that. Have you got lost loved ones at home right now? You got kids or siblings should be in the house of the Lord tonight? So I know the answer to that question. So that means our work is not over. That means we should go home. We really should, in private or in in a group, whatever you whatever you choose to do, and pray in every room of your house. God, would you help me? Help me to take the the mission, the calling of evangelistic ministry, more serious. It's more important than the television shows your kids are watching at home at night. It's more important than their basketball games or their hockey games or their baseball games. It's more important than their uh, football games. Oh, got really low response there, huh? That's all right. That's a pastor for you. An evangelist says it, we're like, ah! Is that going to be on the podcast? Is that going to be on the podcast? Is that going to be on the podcast? It's all right. I don't need it anymore. I don't need the attaboys and the pats on the back. Way too old for that. I know what my calling is. And I know how much I love you. And I know how much I want to see your kids go to heaven. I, I, I know what the devil's up to. I know what he's up to. He's trying to trick your kids and, and get your families sideways with the house of God. I know that. It's everyone's ministry. It's not just my job.
least in my eyes, and I'm sure many of yours, Noah was a 100% success. Something good about laying your head down on a pillow at night and knowing your son's in church. Your daughter's in church. And if that is not the case, I'm not trying to heap coals of fire on anybody. I'm your pastor. Let me have that personal space with you. I'm praying with you. I, I can't promise you what that person's doing over there, but I'm praying with you. Because I, I care about your kids almost as much as you do. You, you may not believe that, but I do. I've got their pictures on that door right there. Not, not to impress you. That when I'm here alone, I see it and it just comes over me and I start praying for Maya for your daughter. I start praying for your son who, who who's, needs help tonight. And by the way, can he have visitors yet? Have you learned about that? He can. Would you get Brother Flail the information on that so we can? Has to start at home, Brother Marshall. Right there. Has to start at home. Everyone's ministry. Don't do it to be popular. Don't do it to be counted among those that seem to matter. Do it because you're going to make a difference in someone's life. Oh, Lord, how do I get out of this tonight? Praise God. It's everyone's ministry. Let's pray tonight. Every single, every child that's not in the house of God. I want you to get your son on your mind, your daughter on your mind, your parent on your mind, your sibling on your mind. Hold on, hold on, brothers. Before we get carried away, I want us to be united in what I'm asking you right here, all right? I want us to pray the prayer of faith over every single one, over Jared, over Justin, over every, over Blake. I want to pray tonight like Noah must have been praying for his sons. It matters. It matters. God, we thank you tonight. You're worthy of all the glory and honor and the praise, God. We thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and where you want to take this assembly of people, God. Too many of our sons and daughters, too many of our siblings and parents, too many of our best friends, too many of, people, of the people in our family, God of heaven, uh, they're distracted by the world. They need you, Lord. They need your presence. They need your mercy. They need your compassion. I don't have to be anything, God. I just want to make a difference in my home. I don't have to be known. I just want to make a difference evangelistically in my household. I don't care about the limelight. I want to make a difference in, in a lost child's life. I want to see Joseph back here preaching and praying. I want to see him back here in these altars, and I'm asking you, Lord, stir up the gift of God that's within them with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. I want to see them, God, weeping in these altars, laboring for the lost, giving of themselves to the work of the kingdom of God. I want to see them, God, sacrificing for their communities and for their sons and daughters, for their generation, God. They are the ministry God of this community. They are the evangelist God of this community. They are the seed sowers of this community. They are the soul winners of this community. 
Oh, precious God. Come on, somebody. Pray for our sons and daughters tonight. Pray for our siblings and our parents tonight. Oh, Jesus, I love you.